With great respect and with great kindness, it's always a pleasure to welcome you all to Monday Night Meditation. We've been sitting together now for 30 years. Antonio, thank you so much for that beautiful offering. Antonio is usually <laughs> meeting, greeting, taking offerings, cleaning bathrooms, and uh, it's we have such a rich, rich community here of volunteers, um, and this is just a small example of the, the depth and breadth of the volunteers that help support this place to keep going on. Um, they all greeted you today. They've taken your offerings. They have restocked the toilet paper. Um, they welcomed you outside in the gate. We could not make this place happen without the volunteers. And they all have these nifty hang tags. Um, and please make sure to spread the love to them today. Buy them a cookie. Say thank you. And perhaps they'll come back next week. My name is Christina Tavera. I am one of the event coordinators here in the building. Um, I'm supported by Romy and Juliana, who's a volunteer coordinator, and this awesome uh, AV team. We're all here to support you tonight. And we're here to welcome Mark Coleman back. Yay! Mark, you're like the steady here. It's so awesome to have one of our Dharma teachers come back pretty much on a monthly um, usually it's brand new teachers, well, not brand new teachers, but a different teacher every month. And Mark, Mark's kind of like the regular steady. Um, you, many of you have probably already sat with him. Uh, Mark has been teaching, uh, insight meditation since 1997. He also offers his service, um, at the Spirit Rock Teachers Council, which helps with the programming as well here. And, uh, when he's not doing all of that, he's writing some beautiful books of which you can check out out in the uh, lobby and in the bookstore. They're for sale. And in early September this year, he'll be having a mindfulness teacher training in the East Bay and the information is there. So make sure to check that out. And if you love what you hear, he has an email list as well. So you can get on his mailing list and he can tell you other nifty things that he's doing outside of Spirit Rock, which include Alaska, Peru, like all sorts of cool nature things. Yeah. So you'll find out more about that. All right. How many of you are new? Please raise your hands. All right. That's a good amount of you. Nice, nice summer night. Welcome. Uh, the rest of you have heard this, so you can close your eyes and start meditating. And for the new folks, this is some tips that'll help make your life a little easier around here. First, you're going to tell, turn off the cell phone. Turn it way off. Turn it all the way off. This is free time. And we're going to ask you to not turn your cell phone on until you're outside in the patio. And we're happy to share the Wi-Fi code to make things a little easier. If you're having trouble hearing me, that makes you a candidate for the nifty um, hearing-assisted devices on that back wall. It's going to sharpen everything and make you look super cool. When Q&A happens, because we want to make sure everyone can hear, um, you're going to wait until this beautiful mic comes to you. Are we doing a Q&A? Maybe. Maybe. We'll see what happens. So basically the deal is you raise your hand, Mark points to you. One of the nifty uh, Q&A mic assist people is going to come to you and then uh, speak when you get the mic and uh, rock star it because it's a little sensitive. Yes to food, yes to beverage. Uh, yes, please put a lid on the beverage just in case you spill. If you do spill, grab a volunteer and they know how to clean it up. Don't use your pillow. Yeah. The very famous Pavlovian bell will let you know that it is time to come back from break. So when you hear the bell outside or you hear, hear the bell inside, please come back and take your seat so that we can uh, continue with the Dharma talk. Um, the bookstore, very important mindful shopping, happens um, 
uh, throughout the program today and about 15 minutes after the program is over. Uh, it is not supported by a volunteer, so if you have questions, someone in my office will help, or you'll see the instructions written there, and we'll help you out with that. And uh, if it's at all possible, we would love your help putting chairs away this evening and your cushions, and they all go into those closets over there. Thank you very much for coming. Buenas noches. Have a lovely evening. Gracias, Mark. Good evening. What a beautiful evening, beautiful space, beautiful people. I can see that. Lots of you, all of you. So, um, well, that was quite a welcome. So I don't need to say anything more about welcome. <laughs> um, but I am here to talk about meditation and mindfulness and our practice here. So um, I'm in the final throes of uh, completing a first draft on my new book on mindfulness called Ending Suffering, Finding Peace, The True Promise of Mindfulness. And so since I've been writing copiously about it these last months, I thought, why don't I talk about it? So since that's kind of what we do here, right? We, we know a little about mindfulness. We practice mindfulness. And... Um, so it's going to be a it's going to be a quiz. <laughs> I'm going to test your knowledge. <laughs> no, not really. But I'm going to be curious about what you understand about mindfulness and what it is and what it isn't, and a lot of the common misconceptions uh, that we have, and perhaps interesting uh, ways that we might practice it that may not necessarily be quite what it seems. So um, I'll save all that conversation for later, but we'll practice together. Who's new here today? I didn't see that show of hands. Some people new? Great, welcome. All right. So we sit together here for well, maybe half an hour or so. And then we'll take a break and I'll share some reflections and ask you some questions about mindfulness practice. And then we'll go from there. So I'm always curious how we enter meditation and how we orient and attune to this thing we call meditation. I don't really like that word, and I'll say more about that later. So, before you close your eyes, all right, I'll do one of my silly favorite experiments. Um, before you close your eyes, we'll take 30 seconds to not be mindful, <laughs> to not be aware, to not be present, to not notice anything. Okay, off you go. No effort. 
eyes open, eyes closed, doesn't matter because you're not noticing. was a bell in case you weren't noticing anything. So what did you notice? It's hard not to be mindful. It's hard not to be mindful. Did anybody succeed in not noticing something? Right. That's interesting, right? Interesting that Awareness, even if we try not to be aware, happens, right? This is a marvelous wonder of the human condition, and not just the human condition, that awareness happens by itself, whether we want to or not, whether we try or not. So if the fabric of mindfulness, which is the fundamental practice here, the fabric of mindfulness is awareness, and awareness is always available, doesn't switch itself off, then why do we bother even practicing? If what we're doing is cultivating awareness through mindfulness practice, But it's already here if we just relax and just see, just feel. Then what does that say about all that effort you've put in for years and years in your mindfulness meditation practice, going on retreats and studying? Did anybody notice that they were really aware in that minute? That they noticed a lot of things? Sounds, sensations, feelings, body, thoughts. Sometimes I'll do this at the beginning of a retreat and it will be the most present someone is the whole retreat. (laughs) Which is interesting in itself. Why is that? Why is it when we relax and do nothing and don't try to be aware that awareness happens quite effortlessly? And this is partly what I want to speak to tonight. What I call fabricated and unfabricated mindfulness. That was unfabricated mindfulness. The naturalness of awareness that happens by itself. So the question, if if awareness is always aware of something, then the important question is what is awareness present to? This seems to be the important question. If awareness is always noticing something, which it is by definition, what is it attending to? And this is where our practice of mindfulness comes in. Practice of mindfulness is the conscious knowing of what awareness is aware of. The 
a little bit clunky to say that. (laughs) Mindfulness is the conscious knowing of experience. And to some degree, maybe the directing of that attention. And what we notice in meditation and in our lives is that what we mostly pay attention to is what? Someone pointed here. Right, our thoughts, our coconut, our mind. Right? And that's partly what we work with in the meditation, is seeing the habits of where our attention goes. And you don't have to try very hard. <laughs> they will arise in the first minute <laughs> as you get lost thinking about work or your relationship or your children or what's for supper tonight. And so the training, meditation, mindfulness, is a training in initially and for a long time establishing present moment awareness and encouraging and inviting our attention to reside here in this physical, sensory, emotional, mental process that's going on here. That's the training. And that takes some time. (laughs) Which is why we come together like this to practice. So as we meditate, I want you to orient to the practice from that place of relaxation. So, So establish your meditation posture, sitting upright, comfortable, relaxed, at ease, but upright and alert. And closing your eyes or lowering your gaze. And without trying, simply notice what you're aware of. What naturally comes to your attention And notice that experience changes just in that last minute. There's probably been a whole variety of things that you were present to. So maybe you notice the sounds, the background sounds, the hum of the AC. 
Maybe you're feeling the space in the room, the stillness, the silence. Some of you are already nodding off, in which case open your eyes, sit upright, take some deep breaths, wake up your body. Stand. Hopefully, you're aware of your body sitting, your posture, the contact of the body with the ground, the chair, contact the hands. Or aware of the breath and the sensations of inhaling, exhaling. Most likely you're also noticing thoughts, images, memories, plans, moods and emotions as they're felt in the body, in the heart. mindfulness, the simple knowing of our experience, non-interfering awareness, simply present to the coming and the going of phenomena, sounds, sights, smells, sensations, breath, feelings, thoughts, space, So in meditation we abide in this awareness, this knowing of moment-to-moment experience. And you can choose to simply be present to this flow of phenomena for the rest of the sitting. Noticing what's happening, aware of when the attention gets 
consumed in thoughts, drifts from the present. And supporting the reestablishment of present moment awareness. And you can also choose, if you find it supportive, to settle the attention to what we call a primary anchor, like the sensations of breathing, or the sensations of body, or sounds. So the attention has, as it were, a home base to settle. to absorb itself into. And at the same time, being present to the other flow of experience when it calls the attention. Staying relaxed in the body, no need to struggle, not striving to get anywhere or make anything happen. Noticing how this awareness, this knowing of experience happens by itself.
What is awareness attending to in this moment? Cultivating this quality of non-interfering attention, present to experience without changing, resisting, struggling, judging, manipulating anything. Just meeting it as it is. Pleasant, unpleasant, wanted, unwanted. Abiding in this still point of awareness.
these last few minutes of the meditation, relaxing all sense of effort, of trying to get somewhere, trying to make something happen. Simply aware of what is, moment by moment. Shifting your attention to hearing, hearing and aware of hearing. And including in your attention sensing and aware of sensing sensations. And aware of cognizing, aware of mental activity, thinking. And lastly, shifting awareness to seeing. So if your eyes are closed, you can slowly open your eyes and be aware of seeing. Mindfulness of seeing. The Buddha said, in the seeing, there is just the seeing. In the hearing, there's just the hearing. In the sensing, there's just the sensing. In the cognized, there's just the cognized. This is the end of suffering. When we really know that and can abide in that, we cease to resist or react to what's here. So I'll ring the bell to end the meditation, but nothing really ends. Awareness doesn't stop. Practice doesn't stop. We're just different experience to be aware of. So see if there's a difference between meditation and post-meditation. Is there anything different? We often make meditation into a thing, a noun. But it's just uh, an agreement. It's a conventional term that denotes the practice, in this case, of awareness. 
which is no different than what's happening now. Now you're moving. Now you're stretching. Now you're reaching for your tea. Now you're planning your exit or your cookie consumption or your conversations or whatever it is. Just the flow of experience and awareness present or not to that flow of experience. No different than meditation. Just happens to be called life. So in the Satipatthana Sutta that the Buddha, uh, where where these teachings of mindfulness come from, and I'm going to let you go in a minute, so don't panic. I'm not going to read 25 pages. Um, uh, the the, The Buddha gave the instruction to be mindful in activities, which is what I'd like you to do during the break. He said... Uh, 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 again meditators when going forward and returning uh, the meditator acts clearly knowing when looking ahead and looking away when flexing and extending their limbs uh, when wearing clothes when uh, eating and drinking and consuming food and tasting and clearly knowing when defecating and urinating, and clearly knowing when walking, standing, sitting, falling asleep, waking up, talking, and keeping silent. One acts clearly knowing. Right? One acts in awareness with all those things. Right? So there's no break in that practice. There's no break in awareness. There's just awareness of standing, of moving, of stretching, of eating, of drinking, of peeing, of talking, of fresh air, stepping outside, reading, buying, consuming. It's all to be simply known. That's the practice. That's a piece of the practice. It's sort of the essence of the practice. There's a lot more to it than that. So pee here now and drink here now and (laughs) eat cookies here now and uh, come back in 15 minutes. Thank you. (laughs) And uh, I I just want to reiterate that, um, what Christine said, I am launching a mindfulness teacher training. If anybody's interested in that, there are cards in the foyer and I'm also happy to talk to anybody about that starting in September. Thank you. Oh, and if a volunteer can bring me a pen, that would be great. Pen. Pen.
You were all walking back so mindfully. It was like a seamless meditation. I'm not sure if that's true, actually, but I just wanted to say that just to flatter you. No. But maybe. So I was um, uh, making a cup of tea uh, when I was up in Canada recently. And... um, I got out a box of peppermint tea and it said, peppermint tea, mindful all day. And I thought, wow, pretty good. Drink peppermint tea and be mindful all day. It's a lot less work than all this meditation nonsense. So maybe you've seen other similar interesting interpretations of what mindfulness is and what mindfulness does. Um, There was an article, I can't tell whether it was a spoof on it, I don't think it was, it was how to make a killing on Wall Street with mindfulness. (laughs) You know, which actually would be sort of um, true. That If one practices, in fact there's an article in Time magazine where there's a chap, Walter Zimmerman, who studies energy futures, and he's a, a religious medita- vipassana meditator and um, meditates 20 minutes a day, morning and night, and swears he swears by that's what gives him a cutting edge in his trading and his prediction of and the energy markets. So... Um, so as I said earlier, I wanted to explore a little about some facets of mindfulness and really we'll just touch on a few facets of mindfulness because it's one of those qualities, practices that is complex and, and uh, multifaceted, for want of a better word. So, um, and just a little, give a little bit ground, give a little bit background about why I want to give this talk and why I'm writing my book. So I'm writing this book on mindfulness, even though my publisher and quite a few other publishers said, really, another book on mindfulness? Really? Like mindfulness, mindfulness? Aren't we having enough mindfulness books? And I thought, you know, you're right. We really do have too many mindfulness books. But, (laughs) however, (laughs) you don't have my mindfulness book. (laughs) And um, I wanted to write a book on it because having studied in the Dharma for 30, almost, I don't know, 35 years now, you know, trained in, 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 in a very traditional Buddhist context, understanding the depth and the scope of mindfulness practice, and then having taught in more secular settings for the last 15 years in companies and organizations and healthcare and, um, you know, the UN and schools and in a variety of places where, you know, a lot in tech, where a lot of mindfulness teaching is happening. Um, I also see what's happening in the what, what's called the mindfulness movement, and uh, and then seeing you know what happens in the media and and society at large and how it you know 
mindfulness, just like yoga, just like anything else, gets co-opted by you know consumer culture and becomes commodified and reduced and simplified to the point of um, beyond recognition, really, like mindful peppermint tea. <laughs> which can be very mindful or not, depending on one's attitude, right? Which is partly a facet of mindfulness, is the, the quality of attention, the quality of intention one brings to whatever one does, right? You could stuff your face with those cookies, or it could be a sublime mindfulness practice, right? It's not the object necessarily itself that denotes what mindfulness is. It's partly the attitude and the behavior and the presence and the quality in which one uh, undertakes that. So anyhow, so that led me to want to write uh, a book uh, drawing on the depth of the practice in a similar way that that my teacher trainings do and yet uh, present these deep teachings in a more secular language and form. So that's the intention of the book. And um, coming soon to a bookstore near you. Um, and I'm actually just, on, I'm just finishing my first draft. I'm, I am I'm, I was requesting uh, stories. So if you have interesting stories about your own practice and transformation with mindfulness, I would really like to hear them. So um, you can reach me um, I guess through my website would be the easiest, markcoleman.org, if anybody likes to write about their experience, um, particularly how it's been transformative. Always helpful. Okay, enough of the self-promotion. Get back to the talk. So um, I always like to ask this question, what is mindfulness? Having spent the last hour preambling about it, you're probably a little intimidated to say, but anyhow, what's mindfulness? Presence. Presence of something. Good, we've got a sentence going here. Presence of something <laughs> with an attitude of involvement, intention, sensitivity, without judgment, kindness. So presence, what did you say? Presence of something with sensitivity, kindness, intention, curiosity, receptivity, clarity. And then someone said awareness. So for me, the simple definition of mindfulness is clear awareness, which is the, the clear knowing of experience. The clear knowing of what's happening. And it's a quality, it's a non-interfering awareness in that we're not busy, usually we're busy with our experience. Right? If you notice in that last meditation, how busy did you get with, your, with stuff? You're busy with your mind, busy with maybe struggling to stay awake, busy with not feeling, wanting to feel discomfort or pain, busy feeling emotions or thoughts that you'd rather not have or you'd rather have more of. We get very preoccupied, we get entangled. And so a quality of mindfulness or sati, the, 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 the Pali term, is this non-interfering quality of attention. 
So it's a, it's a quality of observation. But it's more complex than that because, and this is, this is the challenge with mindfulness in a secular context, it's often devoid of the vast pantheon of teachings from which the practice emerged. Right? The Buddha taught mindfulness in, a, in context of a path of liberation, of freedom from suffering, of understanding the human condition, of understanding who we are understanding why we get caught in so much self-created pain and turmoil and stress. Right? So the point of the practice was to, was to really get underneath that whole predicament, our existential predicament. We're here, we're alive, and we're going to die. Right? Mindfulness is helping us meet that existential challenge and angst. What does that mean to be human? What does that mean to be awake? How do I live my life and not add more burden and suffering and distress for myself and certainly for others? Right? These are great questions. The mindfulness, you could say, is attempting to illuminate. Right? That's the, the context so the mindfulness in its essence is this simple, bare knowing, this clear awareness that, that we bring to our experience, our body, our sensations, our pain, our feelings, our heart, our, our stress, our mind, its craziness. Anybody create crazy mind here? Anybody busy here? Anybody think a lot? Right. Anybody cause stress, unnecessary stress? Wake up in the middle of the night worrying about things that will never happen. I woke up at five o'clock this morning with a jolt because I, I, was, I was regretting a decision I'd made. Bam, a spike of cortisol. You know, in that, that middle of the night, it wasn't quite middle of the night, but usually the middle of the night, you wake up and it's such a tormented experience and there's not a lot of mindfulness, right? And we get consumed with anxiety and worry and fear and stress. You know, and then we go back to sleep, we wake up in the morning and we kind of bring that thought back to mind and we go, it's not really a big deal. Or let's resolve this. And it's much easier, you know, in the morning. Anyhow, but that's kind of a it's sort of a, a metaphor for, for how we... We, we so often create uh, so much of our stress or add to it. So, so mindfulness in that, in that context is liberated, it frees us. The, the, the cloudy, the knowing to see how we cause suffering, how we cause unnecessary stress. So one of the things that that reveals, looking at the mind, is uh, what the Buddha called papancha, proliferation. We see the proliferating uh, tendency of mind to think based on distorted perceptions and assumptions. So, for example, you're meditating here, you're blissing out, everything's hunky-dory, you walk out to get your cookie, and the door slams in your face. And but someone just ignored you walking through the door, and 
you know, the bare experience of that is the door comes towards you and you, and you walk through. But the, the, the self-perception might be, that person did that deliberately. I know they don't like me. Why don't they like me? Why didn't anybody see me? I mean, that happens all the time. Doors slam in my face all the time. I feel so unseen. What's wrong with me? We make this whole fabrication based on a simple event that had probably nothing to do with us except the person was even more keen to get the cookie than you were. And then you weren't even on their radar because it was like bathroom or bust or cookie or bust. So, so mindfulness reveals this cloud is seeing and allows us to interrupt at times these, these faulty uh, habits, distorted perceptions. Anybody like to share what you think your misconceptions of mindfulness are or were? <laughs> What did you think mindfulness was before you now are luminously clear about what it is? <laughs> Being engaged in every moment. Being engaged in every moment, okay. Yeah, what else? Okay, I'll give you a clue. What is this? Blissed out, right. right. How many people thought meditation and mindfulness was, was about blissing out and getting really stoned? You know, or wanting it to be at least. <laughs> Come on, I didn't see that many hands. Come on, how? I mean, we we know. I think most people are subtly orienting. My experience in as a teaching and working with students, subtly orienting and manipulating our experience so it's better, right? Right. So we're more happy. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's natural human tendency, but it's not mindfulness. It's trying to get to a different, better place. Yes. Right. Yes. Thank you. So the, the, the yes, I will repeat the, all the all the comments. So the comment was um, uh, thinking that she would be thinking of nothing. Right. This just this blank, neutral state of void, emptiness. Right. It sounds really nice. And uh, maybe, and not to some people, it sounds horrible, but uh, to most people, that the idea of quieting the mind, right? You know, the, the, the science, the data is we think somewhere between 15 and 60,000 thoughts a day, and somehow, just by someone ringing the bell in a meditation hall, they will disappear for 30 minutes. That's asking like 5,000 thoughts to disappear just because the bell went. <laughs> It lasts for about two seconds. <laughs> Those first few moments of meditation, ah, oh, finally here. Go, why don't I do this more often? I really like Spirit Rock. I wonder if they still have those raspberry cookies. Okay, Marcus. <laughs> right, on it goes. We're funny, us humans. So the... the um, any other misconceptions before I go on? It's kind of fun to hear the misconceptions. Yes? Um, I labored for years. I know what it means to try to become 
Ah, right. Trying to become perfect. Right. Mindfulness as a self-improvement project, as a self-help project. Right. Which it's not. It's maybe. Uh, or, well, it's it's. There's a phrase attributed to Suzuki Roshi, which I which I hear he didn't say, but it doesn't matter. It's a nice phrase. Um, he said. Um, uh, you're all perfect just as you are and you could all do with a little improvement. <laughs> but we start with the perfection. Right? You're fine just as you are, right? which is true. We're fine just as you are and we're perfect just as we are. And there's always room for improvement. Right? Both are true. Right? But if we start with, I'm not good enough until I improve, then I'll be able to relax and be okay and like myself. That's a setup for misery and never-ending striving. Right, so um, you know, mindfulness is radical in that way, in that it's a meeting uh, the conditions of experience of ourselves as we are, without trying to interfere, right? In its essence, right? And that's this is this is where this is where mindfulness gets complicated, because we have the the, the bare quality which is a simple knowing, this non-interfering awareness. But in the context of Buddhist practice, we are actually uh, cultivating different qualities. Right? The, 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 the basic orientation, one of the basic orientations of the Buddhist path is uh, releasing unwholesome, unhelpful, unskillful, painful states of mind and heart and cultivating wholesome, skillful states. So that seeing, that knowing, that awareness, that clarity is the basis from which we... So mindfulness helps, for example, um, recognize that we're lost in thought, that we're lost in judgment, that we're lost in some fantasy. Mindfulness is just the simple, clear recognition of that. And then we bring in wise effort another part of the Eightfold Path, or wise action, and we drop the thought. Right? And then we redirect the attention back to the breath, say, reestablish mindfulness in the present moment, and then get distracted. <laughs> mindfulness recognizes, oh, look at that, now I'm back at work. I was thinking all day at work, I wanted to be at Spirit Rock. Now I'm at Spirit Rock thinking about work. Okay. I'm told not to judge, okay. It's kind of stupid, but okay. <laughs> Let the thought go, come back to the breath. Right? So, that, so mindfulness, what mindfulness does, it pulls other wholesome, skillful qualities of mind. Right? Like renouncing that which is painful. Right? Cultivating that which is wholesome. Right? Wise effort, that is. Um, so... So that came from this the sense of perfection, right? So, and I think this is where, particularly given that we live in a sort of new age, self-helpy, psychological culture where we're always developing ourselves, it's very hard to um, intercept that habit and come back to the, fa- the the sort of fundamental of what's going on and meeting it as it is. 
So it's very hard to sit with an itch and not scratch it. How many of you were itchy this meditation? And how many of you were scratching it before you even know you had an itch? I was just like, all right, I guess I'm itchy. Oh, I thought I was, well, maybe I was just bored. I don't know. Was, do I have lice? I don't know. Um, right, so mindfulness is, is helping interrupt the impulsive, habitual, conditioned, reactive nature that we have to mostly to unpleasant experience. We're constantly trying to get rid of unpleasant stuff. That's why we fidget and why we scratch and why we do all kinds of things. And at the same time, why we're always seeking more pleasure. As much as we might not say that's what we're doing in meditation, we often are. Have you ever got resentful for the person next to you sniffling and, and scratching and doing whatever they're doing that's annoying right anybody come on <laughs> like tonight <laughs> last week it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't this person it was. hard to just be with that which we don't want to be i have the pleasure tomorrow so i live in a i live in a house where I'm literally the, the only house between two streets. And tomorrow, they're repaving both streets. And I work from home writing on my book. Writing on my, writing my book. So I get the pleasure of this incredible grinding, grading, beeping, earth-moving, clanking, oil-tar-producing stuff. And it's like being in some kind of hell realm. <laughs> and they've been at it for weeks. And, um, you know, at times it's, it's fine. At times it's just like, oh, look at that. They're just destroying the road again. And at other times it's, I'm just, you know, pulling my hair out. Like, why don't you just shut up? <laughs> I'm trying to write about mindfulness. <laughs> Be quiet. <laughs> I'm trying to meditate in here. Yeah, right. So, so this is, you know, this, this capacity to simply meet experience as it is without reactivity is, is really the, the, the sort of the centrality of our practice. You know, the nutshell of the Buddha's teaching is reactivity is the cause of suffering. Releasing reactivity is the cause of freedom and peace. Mindful, mindfulness illuminates the reactivity and the release of reactivity. Anybody want to? Be, anybody reactive in here? You get reactive. You watch the news, listen to the radio, have a conversation with your spouse or your kids, or deal with back pain. Or whatever kind of, you know, challenge in your life. There's numerous losses. Driving. Anybody get irritated driving? <laughs> that lovely kind of concertina snarl on the 101 that you that you get past Sir Francis Drake. And it's like, there's nothing there. Why did it slow down for half an hour? I guess that's just what it does. May we be happy. May we get to where we're going on time. May I get to Spirit Rock on time.
which I sometimes haven't <laughs> on a Monday night. It's the traffic. It's fault. All right, so moving along. Now a little word from... Uh-huh, a little word from John O'Donohue, great Irish poet, former priest. The mystery never leaves you alone. Behind your image, below your words, below your thoughts, the silence of another world awaits. A world lives within you. No one else can bring you news of this inner world. That's a beautiful, poetic utterance of mindfulness, what mindfulness reveals. A world lives within you. No one else can bring you news of this inner world. But when we cultivate awareness... Right? That's one of the things that lights up. We begin to feel and see and experience this inner world of mood and feeling and sensation and spaciousness and presence and love and lightness and delight. So what news comes from your inner world? Right? Without awareness, we won't be privy to that information and a whole world is lost to us. So, how do you practice mindfulness? Right? Many ways to cultivate mindfulness. Right? It's both in this innate quality of attention, of knowing, <clears throat> as we explored earlier in the, in the beginning of the meditation. And we can cultivate it. Right? That's why we practice, why we come together, why we have retreats and meditations and trainings. So, how many of you do have a sitting practice do a regular sitting, like once a year, you know, once a... Okay, some of you. How many of you do, how many of you do walking practice? Is there, is there, uh, some kind of movement practice, embodied movement practice, walking, dancing, qigong, tai chi. Right? These are all ways to cultivate presence. How many of you, is your, is your meditation more concentration style of practice, where you're just focusing on one thing and, and, and developing that power of one-pointed focus. Just a few of you? Okay. And how many of you is your practice more open awareness, just present to the flow of experience like we did today? Okay, that's most of you. Okay, that's interesting. Doing a little survey here. And how many of you use reflection and inquiry as part of your meditation, part of your mindfulness practice? It's an important part of our practice. It's reflecting, right? There's, mindfulness is not mute or uh, inert. It's, it, there's a reflective quality in the knowing. Right? Not, not, a, not a thinking and cognizing and getting wrapped up in analysis, but a reflective quality of attention. For example, um, you know, so I was at Point Reyes on Sunday um, Limitor Beach, just enjoying the completely spectacular oasis of beauty that is, and um, and just watching the waves for hours, just this beautiful, these perfect waves, and the wind blowing the crest of the wave up into the sky, and the seals, and just aware. For example, when we're fully mindful, right? One thing we can be aware of is like is aware of that ceaseless change of experience, that ceaseless flow, right? the pulsing, ebbing dynamism of life. 
Right? There's a reflective, I'm not just seeing the waves, there's a reflection about the nature of experience that's fluid, that's dynamic, that's moving, that's ungraspable. Right? When we see a leaf fall from a tree, right? it, it, it touches us at times. Right? The sense of, oh, release, letting go, falling away. So we have formal meditation and then informal meditation, like the Buddha was pointing to, being aware of mindfulness and activities, being aware of peeing here and now and eating cookies, hopefully not at the same time. <laughs> what did you notice between the difference between your formal meditation and the informal meditation or post-meditation of the break? Anybody notice anything? Yes. You notice connectedness in the post-meditation, because because it was more relational, uh huh. Because right, you're talking eye contact, uh huh. Yeah. And you're, yes. In the informal meditation, we have to make decisions and choices about uh-huh. what we're going to do. Whereas when we're sitting, we're just sitting. Right. So in the informal meditation, he said we have to make decisions, choices. You know, do I take this cookie, that cookie, this tea, that tea, this person, that person, right? So we make choices to some degree in the sitting with, you know, r- releasing the attention to, the, to distraction, bringing the attention back, choosing which thing to focus on, to, but to some degree it's more fluid. How many people felt there was, it, was, it was a seamless flow of experience between the meditation and the non-meditation, walking, being outside, Okay, some hands, a few. Okay, some nods. Yeah, okay. Okay, so there's the, there's the essence of mindfulness. There's, there's ways we can practice it. And then there's the attitude uh, that we cultivate or that we orient to in the practice. And how do you, and that's why I was speaking in the beginning about how do you orient to the practice? What kind of attitude do you bring? Right, sometimes we start meditation and it's like, it's, like a, it's like a race or something. It's like a, a challenge. Like, okay, I'm gonna, this time I'm going to nail that breath. I'm just going to just, you know, and just, you know, I'm going to win. <laughs> I'm going to beat my distractions. I'm going to beat my thoughts down. Or maybe the attitude is like, oh, meditation, I just get to be fluid, like kelp and flow and experience. And I just... You know, go with whatever happens and, you know, if I fall asleep, it's okay because I'm perfect just as I am. So, it's, you know, see, I know you, people will take that teaching and go, okay, he said I can just do whatever I like because I'm perfect. <laughs> so, you know, and, and practice, so much of practice is balance, right? The Buddha talked about the, the, the balance necessary for cultivation of mind, right? We, the, both relaxation an alertness. Right? He talked, there's a metaphor of the lute player playing the lute. He was a former a monk, former lute player who was getting really uptight about his meditation, tight, tense, headaches. Anybody gets headaches from, from meditation? Usually willful, trying too hard, or a furrowed brow. And he said, you know, he said to the monk, he said, you know, if, you, if, you, if your lute strings are too loose, what happens? So it doesn't play very well. What happens if they're too tight? Well, they're also, it's a little, you know, jarring but you've got to find that balance 
So in practice, there's an active quality of mindfulness and a receptive quality of mindfulness. And you'll you'll probably lean one towards one or the other, have a preference for one or the other, depending on your style, personality, what feels good. So the more active quality is the the quality of, of, of watching, of noticing, observing, of releasing the distraction, of concentration. And the Buddha takes this to an extreme. He says, he gives, he's talking about working with, with distracting thoughts. And some of you probably heard this piece of text. It gets quoted a lot. And there's all these different ways to work with thoughts. You notice them, you let them go, you cultivate kindness, blah, blah, blah. And then he says, if evil and skillful thoughts imbued with desire, aversion, or delusion still arise in the meditator while he's attending um, to, to the relaxing of thoughts, with regard to those thoughts, then with his teeth clenched and his tongue pressed against the roof of his mouth, he should beat down, constrain, and crush his mind with his awareness. <laughs> crush, his, crush the thoughts with his awareness. Right? That's one end of the spectrum. Right? We generally don't teach that because that doesn't really, you know, people just get a little, you know, tense around things, you know. But at times there, there's a place for like, no, stop, enough thoughts, enough distractions. Be here, right? We can bring that fierceness. You always speak to it as a fierceness, right? Not just a loosey-goosey go with the flow. Sometimes we need a fierceness to like cut, you know, sometimes you're caught in some fantasy or some fear loop or some regret or some who knows what. And you just like, in that, you need that sword to just say, enough, let it go. Drop it. And then there's a receptive quality that's receiving, that's allowing, that's, that's um, opening to the flow of experience. There's a beautiful line from a Tibetan teacher who, uh, he said, uh, this, this, the main line of the teaching is, he said, rest in natural great peace. Rest in natural great peace, this exhausted mind beaten helplessly by karma and neurotic thought like the pounding of the waves in the infinite ocean of samsara. Rest in natural great peace. Rest in natural great peace. Right? This is one attitude we can bring to our meditation. But if all you do is rest in natural great peace and you haven't, peace and you haven't trained alertness and presence, what happens? That great peace becomes great, siesta and great spacing out right so it's the alertness and relaxation go together so what i really want to talk about and i'm getting on in the talk here um is uh what i spoke to earlier this evening about uh there's not really a great word i use i use the word fabricated and unfabricated mindfulness and fabricated doesn't sound right because it's not, we're not fabricating something falsely. We're cultivating, you could use the word cultivated and uncultivated. That doesn't quite work either. But, so I'll use the word fabricated. So in, in, our, in meditation, in all the different practices that we do, we're cultivating this quality of, of mindfulness, of awareness, of attention. Over time, and some of you know this because some of you have been meditating a long time, that efforting becomes effortless. That cultivating, that fabricating, that constructing 
becomes at some point unnecessary. It actually gets in the way. That we're trying too hard to, and the trying and the, and the cultivating and the, and the engine revving is actually getting in the way of the natural presence that has established itself through the, the, the goodness of your practice. In the same way that we established awareness, even though it was moment, momentary, in the beginning when I said, don't be aware, right, let's just do that again, don't be aware, <laughs> don't pay attention to my talk, <laughs> don't notice anything, right? relax, don't be mindful, right? what happens? Right? Oh, presence is here. Awareness is here. Noticing is here. Even if you want to tune out my words, you can't because they're here, because awareness is here. So in in deep meditation, this this quality of what I'm referring to as one way of talking about it is samadhi, this balanced collectedness of mind. And the reason I said in the beginning of the class that I don't, so much like the word meditation because it makes it into a thing, what I prefer to speak to is the quality that arises out of meditation, which is meditative awareness, presence, this unfabricated quality of attention or a continuity of awareness or a choiceless awareness that is accessible, available, So just reflect for yourself in your own practice when, you, when this is accessible to you. When awareness presence is just naturally available. Where you don't have to make effort. <clears throat> I noticed after some years in my practice, actually many years, that I noticed the quality of presence was, became the norm, not the aberration. In the beginning, mind, being mindful seems like it's a, these rare moments between the, a lot of confusion and distraction. And over time, that quality of attention, awareness, presence becomes more available. It becomes actually what you rest in and abide in as your nature, as you move around in the day. And the, the moments of unmindfulness become, they're, they're striking in the, wow, I really did check out then. So for me, so as many of you know, and as Christine pointed to, um, I do a lot of my own practice and a lot of my teaching retreats in nature. And the reason I do that is because for me and for many people, if not most people, nature is the most easily facilitates this natural presence, natural awareness, natural mindfulness. If you go for a walk on Stinson Beach or... Point Limitor, Point Rays, wherever. You don't have to walk on the beach and go, okay, let's be mindful, let's be mindful, let's be mindful, let's be mindful. Let's be present to the waves, the waves, the waves, the waves, seagull, seagull, sand, sand, sand. No, you're just present because you want to be. It's beautiful. You just relax and there's awareness of the beauty, the waves, the color, the light, the sounds, the smells, the space. And of course, you, you, know, you get distracted. You think about this and that and then you come back. A seagull interrupts your, your fantasy and then you back here in the moment a wave crashes and you get wet and you go I really should be more mindful and you carry on so so when we're outdoors 
you know, nature allures our attention in a way that's very easeful, natural, effortless. Which is why I think it's such a great support and why we should blow the roof off the building and be looking at the stars right now. If I had my way. But it's a nice building. I don't want to damage the building. But we could move outside. Um, So just notice where for you that quality of natural presence becomes available. You know, in, in a similar way, not quite the same, in that, that experience of being in the zone, in, in the flow state, athletes talk about it, programmers at Google I work with talk about it, gardeners talk about it, parents talk about it, musicians and artists and potters and talk about it, right? Where there's, where there's a natural absorption and, and, and awareness in the activity, right? We can learn a lot from those things that, that we do, where that attention is drawn quite effortlessly. And over time, as we establish and become more, abide in this quality of presence, of awareness, what also starts to happen is that as the sense of duality starts to fade, the sense of me watching, me observing, me the one doing the knowing, starts to soften. There's just knowing. There's just presence. There's just awareness happening by itself. Knowing is happening by itself. When I ring this... There's no trying needed. There's no effort needed. There's no one to be mindful needed. There's just a sound and is known in awareness. A thought arises and is known in awareness. And so the sense of dissolving, this sense of separation that we so often live within our sort of egoic mind starts to dissolve. We start to abide in a presence that's not separate, that's not dual, that's not divided. And we see that it's already here, that things are happening by themselves. And even the knowing is happening by itself. If we get out of the way, So I'll close with this poem from Wendell Berry. Piece of wild things. And he says, sort of pointing to something that I'm speaking to, he says, when I wake in the night at the least sound in fear of what my life and my children's lives might become, may become, I go outside and lie down where the great heron feeds in the great where the wood drake rests his quiet beauty on the water and where the great heron feeds I come into the presence of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief I come into the presence of day blind stars waiting with their light for a time I rest in the grace of the world and am free 
come into the presence of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief or stress or worry or fear or judgment or whatever. I come into the presence of wild things and for a time I rest in the grace of the world and I'm free. So, you know, we're surrounded by beauty here, by nature, by wild things and including all of us lot wild things. <laughs> We're as wild as anything else. <laughs> and this quality is accessible to us. It's no further than your own breath, that your own awareness is right here, that that which is knowing, that which you're seeking is that which is doing the seeking, which is doing the looking, which is doing the hearing, which is right here. This is the mystery and the cosmic joke of practice is always right here. We think it's, you know, as the Han Shan poet put it, why do we think it is, why do people think it is so far when it is so near? Right here, this awareness that's allowing you to be present, although some of you look like you're about to fall asleep, but mostly present and aware and hearing, this very awareness is right here. This is the essence of mindfulness practice. Not difficult, not inaccessible, never far away. This is your birthright. And because we don't live there, because we don't imbibe there, because we get distracted, because we get caught and reactive and confused and separate and all of the suffering that we create, then we practice. We practice and we cultivate. We train the mind. We train awareness. Cultivate mindfulness so that this quality is accessible, is available until it establishes itself and becomes... Uh, where we, we establish itself to the to the point where it becomes who we are, and it becomes impossible to leave that very awareness that we've strived so hard to realize. That is the fruit of the practice. Quite possible, available here and now. Buddhism, Thich Nhat Hanh said, is simply a way to live well. Happiness is available. Please help yourself. So with mindfulness, we help ourselves. Or not, as the case may be. (laughs) It's our choice in any moment. So thank you for your attention. Um, We do have a little time. I generally don't take that many questions, but since it's been sort of interactive, there's mics back there. Anybody has a question, and we maybe have time for one or two. Uh, We have a a person raised their hand here at the front. And if anybody else wants to raise their hand, we can give you a mic. So a mic back there with the lady with the black t-shirt. Over there. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I understand what you say about practicing in nature, but one of the things that I found about being in nature is it doesn't demand something from you. It doesn't demand a response from you, whereas you're, when you're in more 
stressful situations, you're going to be expected to do something, to be, you know, to react. And so how do you maintain that quality of mindfulness when, you know, the situation is demanding that you do something? Right. You know, I was just having a conversation with some researchers about nature, and there's a whole body of really great research happening now on nature, and uh, this theory called nature restoration theory, which the, where the brain literally uh, relaxes, lowers cortisol levels, because there's a non it's it's um, engaging but not demanding stimuli. Whereas our lives, being in the city, at work, etc., urban areas, much more stimulating, much more um, demanding, and sometimes draining. And um, of course, life involves, it requires our engagement, action, choices, etc. Um, and um, the practice is the same. <laughs> it's not a different practice. It's the knowing is the same. What one does out of that knowing—that's a whole, you know, it's a whole. That's life, you know. Um, but the knowing, the presence, the the embodiment. It's the same practice. It, what we cultivate on the cushion is no different than what we cultivate in a conversation or in a meeting at work or on the freeway or in an argument. The more that we've trained that awareness, the more accessible that is so it doesn't feel like we lose it in the midst of those complex interactions. So you know, the body is a great resource for staying grounded and present, tracking the emotional processes that happen, etc., so, um, the, 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 to me, the process is the same. Yeah. Sort of a, a similar question. Um, do you think that um, gratitude and mindfulness is the same thing? Do I think that gratitude and mindfulness are the same thing? Yes. Definitely not. Okay. Could you, could you sort of describe the difference? Yeah. So, um, I think gratitude quite naturally, can naturally arise out of mindfulness. Because when we're present we're much more likely to be touched by experience, by people, by beauty, by art, by nature, by love. And uh, we see, you know, like the very fact that we're here at Spirit Rock on a Monday night, we have a lot to be grateful for, right? The fact that we live in a beautiful area, that we have access to these wisdom teachings, that, you know, just, you know, we could, there's a long list of... So, but if we're not mindful, we don't notice that. We're just lost in our own stories and dramas and deficiencies and what we don't have and how I want more and blah, blah, blah. So I think for me, what I've noticed, mindfulness helps me appreciate what we have. And what we have, however difficult our life might be, we also have a lot of beauty or a lot of, you know, there's a lot of wonder in this world to be profoundly grateful for. So yeah, so I'd, so I'd say the, the relationship is, is mindfulness is, is, a, is a beautiful uh, support for gratitude. Yeah. And gratitude makes us more present because we're now appreciating rather than taking for granted. So we actually are more here. So it's cyclical actually. Yeah. Any other questions? Yes, at the front please.
Yeah, um, I have a friend ask, asking for a friend. Um, <laughs> what do you say to um, people who, who tell who say it's like, oh, I've tried meditation, but I'm no good at it, so I don't. And it's like, yeah, you're you're human, so it's something, right. It's like not being good at breathing or something. Right. Like right. You know, yeah. Yeah. Poses yeah. difficulties. Yeah. Well, I hear I hear that all the time, you know, because you know I'm sitting on a plane and someone says the dreaded question, "What do you do?" and you know, Jack usually says, "I'm in sales." Um, which is a great response, but I don't, uh, I'll usually say something, you know, I'll say it's complicated and, um, anyhow, so, and then people, yeah, the, you, the first response I get is, oh, I, I couldn't do that. I'm, it, I think too much. Oh, I've tried it and I tried headspace. It was impossible. And, and I go, yeah, that's, that's why we practice. <laughs> it's a training and it's a mental, you know, it's a tool for mental development and it's hard and it's work. And it takes just like being at the gym or cultivating any you know, musical talent or whatever. It takes practice, and so I just try to encourage people that it's possible. And um, you know, talk about my own struggle in the beginning. You know, it's really hard, and um, but you know, perseverance, like with anything, over time it gets easier. And yeah, yeah, which is true for all of us. All right, last question here. You were speaking about the word, or you used the word secular, mm. and it, it uh, made me curious. In my experience, sometimes the word, the experience of prayer comes in. Of what? Prayer. Prayer, right. Is there a distinction, as you see it? Between prayer and... Meditation and prayer. Um, well, I mean, I think it's complicated. You know, prayer is a whole body of of, of practice and and you know methodology, and and so is meditation. And and you could say prayer is a form of meditation. And for some people, meditation is a prayer. And um, <clears throat> and I, you know, in my experience teaching, you know, I work with many people with you know faith based practice and mindfulness is a tremendous support for their prayer because the mindfulness is, it trains the mind to be present. So when they come to pray, that prayer is much more, there's much more presence in the prayer, which is a beautiful thing. So, um, so the, you know, they're overlapping and it really, you know, I'd say mindfulness in it, in its essence isn't a prayer. Mindfulness is just the clarity of knowing which will inform the prayer just as it informs everything else. Yeah. Okay. All right. So thank you everybody for your attention. Very lovely to be here. May you be well. May you be blessed. May we practice for the welfare of all. Thank you. And I'm back here on the, uh, and, and I think in two, the 27th or something like that. So two or three weeks. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.